Thank you, Jordan. We appreciate so much the opportunity to be together tonight. We're thankful for your presence. We've had a great day, and we trust that tonight will also be a great evening together. We're thankful for the opportunity to worship God, to be together as God's people, to encourage one another by our presence and our faith in the Lord. Tonight we're going to be looking, as Jordan read a moment ago, from 2 Timothy chapter 1. Specifically, we want to look at verses 8 through 12 as we think about the theme, words of encouragement for tough times. Paul was writing to Timothy, his son in the faith, and in writing to Timothy, he talked to him in very specific terms about tough times. As a matter of fact, over in chapter 3, Paul said, but know this, that in the last days, perilous times, difficult times will come. And of course, Paul was talking there about the Christian age. We are living in difficult times in this country. In many respects, we are facing uncharted waters. We have a lot at stake. The country in which we live is facing difficult times economically, politically, socially. The list goes on and on. We are facing tough, tough times. And yet, in the midst of tough times, I believe that we can be encouraged because ultimately, we understand that God is on his throne, that he is ruling. We do not know what the future holds, but we do know the one who holds the future, and that's Almighty God. I want us to begin tonight by looking at verses 8 and following, and as we begin our study together, I want to emphasize, first of all, that Paul talked in very specific terms about some things that I believe Timothy, his own son in the faith, needed to hear and to understand. He began by talking about the importance of being consecrated to the Lord. As we think about being consecrated to the Lord, there are a couple of things that I want us to consider as we look at verse 8. First, we look at verse 8 and think about Paul's emphasis on being bold in the Lord. Listen to what he said, therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God. First of all, Paul said, Timothy, don't be ashamed. And two very specific things he's saying don't be ashamed of. Number one, don't be ashamed of God's message. And number two, don't be ashamed of God's messenger. In a sense, the two go hand in hand. Now I understand that the power is in the message, it's not in the messenger. And there is a sense in which there is a separation there. The message, the message can stand on its own. But Paul here is saying, Timothy, don't you be ashamed of the gospel. Don't be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. This would include the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. When you think about the gospel of Christ and the power of the gospel of Christ, it literally sent shockwaves, not only through the Roman world, 
but the Jewish world. Many of the Jews in the first century were against Paul. They were against the Lord. They were against Christianity. Paul himself was a great persecutor of the first century church. But Paul is saying here to Timothy, his own child in the faith, his own son in the faith, Timothy, you need to be bold in the Lord. I don't want you to be ashamed of God's message, nor do I want you to be ashamed of God's messenger. Did you know that as we think about the message of the cross, it is a message of redemption. It involves the Savior. It involves salvation. It involves the security that we have in Christ. And Paul is saying this divine message is of such great importance, it is of such magnitude that no one should shrink back from it. You remember what he said to the saints in Rome in Romans chapter 1 verse 16? For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. God's word is a powerful instrument. It's the medium that ultimately draws people to the Lord. And so we have to preach, we have to teach. Let me just make this observation very quickly as we think about what Paul is saying here as he emphasizes the importance of not being ashamed of the gospel, not being ashamed of the message, nor of the messenger. Did you know that the gospel is God's answer to any number of problems that we face in our country today? The problems that we face in our country are not isolated. As a matter of fact, you can go around the globe and you'll see that many other countries grapple with some of the very same problems that we're grappling with. Go back in the first century, many of the problems that we face today, people in the first century, they face them as well. I want to submit unto you that the gospel is God's answer to immorality. Now we talk about what Paul is saying here, don't be ashamed of the message or of the messenger. Whenever individuals stand up and declare in a very concise way the word of God as it relates to morality, what's going to happen? Sometimes there's going to be opposition. We talk about morality and the problem of immorality. Immorality is not a problem confined to the 21st century. It was a problem in the first century. You go back to the city of Corinth, the people in the city of Corinth were mired in immorality. What did Paul do? He went to the city of Corinth, spent 18 months there, and converted many people. That's what Luke tells us in Acts chapter 18, verse 8. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul said, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God, neither fornicators, nor adulterers, nor idolaters, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers shall inherit the kingdom of God, but such were some of you. Look at the world in which we're living. Look at, look at America. Look at the assault that is being led by many people to uphold same-sex marriage, homosexual relations. Well, what's the answer to that? Is the answer... Politics? Does the answer lie in Washington? Absolutely not. The answer is the gospel. 
The gospel is God's answer to immorality, whether it be homosexuality, whether it be fornication, whether it be adultery, whether it be drunkenness, stealing, whatever. That's the answer. And then I would submit unto you that as Paul tells Timothy, don't be ashamed of the message nor of the messenger. It is also God's answer to the problem of racial division. We live in a racially divided nation. If you don't think that race is a problem, go to the city, the city of Memphis. It is a problem. And let me just say this. The answer to the problems of race are not in Washington. The answer to the problems of race are not in politics. Nor is the answer some social program. The answer is the gospel. How do I know that? Because there were problems in the first century. Look at the Jews and the Gentiles. They literally despised one another. They hated one another. As a matter of fact, John said in John chapter 4 that the Jews had no dealings with the Samaritans. So there you have the problem of race. So when Paul wrote to the saints in Galatia in chapter 3, he said, You're all sons of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. He said, it is in that sphere, there's neither Jew nor Greek, bond nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ. What we need to do is preach the gospel. That will remedy the problem of immorality. We preach the gospel, that will remedy the problem of race. But if you think these guys in Washington can clear this problem up, you have a, you're sadly mistaken. It's not going to happen. It'll never happen. And we talk about the gospel being the answer to the problems of life, it's also the answer to greed. Look at how many people are consumed with materialism and money and things. Some people seem to have an insatiable appetite for more and more. Jesus said, take heed and beware of covetousness. A man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things he possesses. Whatever you have, whatever you possess, I promise you, you won't take it with you. Paul said we brought nothing into this world. It is certain we can carry nothing out. You can't take what you possess with you into the next world. The only thing that's going to follow you into eternity that you possess God's holy word, the scriptures. Jesus said, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word will not pass away. We will be judged on the basis of this book that we call the Bible. Jesus said, he that rejecteth me and receiveth not my word hath one that judgeth him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. John 12, verse 48. Let me also suggest that God's word, the gospel, it's the answer to idolatry. We live in a day and time in which pluralism reigns. Look at America. Look at the pluralistic mindset that is so pervasive in our country. You believe what you want to believe. I believe what I want to believe. He believes what he wants to believe. She believes what she wants to believe. And hey, we're all okay. 
Note, if you would, how rampant the teaching of Islam has become in our country. Buddhism, other Eastern religions. Is the gospel the answer to idolatry? You better believe it is. When Paul went to the city of Thessalonica, he spent three Sabbaths there preaching and teaching the gospel. And when he wrote to the church at Thessalonica, he said that they, that they turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. There are a lot of people in our world today, they have a distorted conception of Almighty God. There's just one God. There's just one Savior. That's Jesus Christ, the Son of God. No one can be saved outside of Jesus Christ. He is the only answer to sin. Listen to what Jesus said. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. So Paul is saying, Timothy, don't you be ashamed of God's message. And don't you be ashamed of God's messenger. We ought to stand behind every person who speaks and teaches the truth of Almighty God. When people stand up and speak out and when they preach and teach the truth of Almighty God, we ought to stand behind them. We ought to be grateful that they've got the courage to stand up and to speak the truth of Almighty God. Whenever truth and error, right and wrong, whenever those things come face to face, opposition's going to occur. If you don't think that's the case, go back just a month or so ago and recall the article that appeared in the Memphis Commercial Appeal about homosexuality. There were a lot of people that didn't like that. There were some people in the church that didn't like it. The person that wrote that, in no way would I ever impugn his motives. He told me in the long ago, or told me, he said, I've stood against other issues, morally speaking. He said, and I'll stand against this. We ought to be grateful that somebody had the courage to stand up and to speak out. And to say, look, this is what the word of God says. I don't care if it's adultery, fornication, homosexuality, theft, greed, whatever. When people stand up and speak the truth, it does not always fall on honest and good hearts. Sometimes it creates opposition. Sometimes people don't like it. Sometimes people don't like the message, nor do they like the messenger. But here's what we need to remember. Just because we don't like it doesn't mean that that changes the truth of Almighty God. Whether we like it or not, God's word says what it says. It means what it means. It is what it is. That's the truth of the matter. That's all that really matters. There's a second thing that Paul told Timothy with regard to his boldness in the Lord. First of all, he said, don't you be ashamed of God's message or of his messenger. The second thing he said, don't be adverse to mistreatment or suffering. 
There is the exhortation to suffer, and there is the example in suffering for the cause. Listen again to what Paul said in verse 8. Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God. Now drop down and look, if you would, at verse 11. He said, to which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, a teacher of the Gentiles for this reason. I also suffer these things. Paul here telling Timothy, don't be adverse to suffering for your faith. When you look at the first century church, you'll find that many of those Christians suffered for their faith. For the most part, many of us, we are immune to suffering for our faith. We've never had to face persecution, bodily harm. Oh, I understand sometimes people will throw barbs at us. Maybe they'll say unkind words. They'll make cutting remarks. I understand all that. But in terms of suffering for our faith, economically, bodily, no, we haven't experienced that. But they did in the first century. And yet their attitude was remarkable. Luke tells us that the apostles in chapter 5 were beaten for the cause. And the Bible tells us in Acts chapter 5 and about verse 40 that they rejoiced because they were counted worthy to, to suffer for his name. And then I think about Paul and Barnabas in Acts chapter 15 at about verse 26. When it was said of them that they risked their lives for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. They literally put their lives on the line. Paul was suffering imprisonment because of his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. He was a prisoner of the Lord. That is an, an expression commonly heard in the writings of the Apostle Paul. When Paul wrote to Timothy in this second letter over in chapter 3, at verse 11, he recounted the afflictions and persecutions that he had faced at Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. He said, what persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord delivered me. In verse 12, he said, yes, and all who will live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. So, he's just telling Timothy, get ready to suffer. Jesus himself talked about persecution, suffering, trials, tribulations that his disciples would face. In Matthew chapter 5, he said, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So Paul, first of all, talks about the importance of being bold in the Lord. He emphasizes the boldness of living for Christ. But then there is a second thing he brings to mind, and that is the blessings that we enjoy in Christ. First, the boldness in the Lord. Secondly, the blessings that we have in the Lord. And he's talking, of course, to Timothy here. Look again at verse 8. He said, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, 
not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. Paul here commenting on the marvelous plan of redemption that we enjoy in Christ. There are two things here. First of all, we enjoy liberty in Christ, and secondly, we enjoy life in Christ. The liberty that we have in Christ is based on God's marvelous, matchless grace. He said that God saved us and called us with a holy calling. Through the gospel, men and women learn about the love story of the cross. They learn about what they need to do to become New Testament Christians. There is no way man had the ability to save himself. That was true in the first century. It's true today. We are saved because God in his marvelous and matchless grace and love reached out to those of us who belong to the human family. He sent his son to die for our sins. In Ephesians chapter 1, Paul talks about God's redemptive plan that was in place before the world began. Jesus is identified by John the Apostle as the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. God had a plan in place to redeem the human family. And I would point out that God's grace, it liberates. Paul said in writing to Titus, the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation to every man. It's because of the grace of God that we have the hope of salvation through Jesus. God's grace liberates and it educates. Wherever God's grace goes, there is always instruction right behind it. God tells us specifically what we need to do in his word in order to become a New Testament Christian, in order to tap into the spiritual blessings that reside in Christ. How do we enjoy the benefits of his blood? How do we, how do we enjoy the benefits of his grace? By obeying the gospel. Here's what Jesus said in John chapter 8, except you believe that I am he, you'll die in your sins. Unless you believe that I am the Son of God, you'll die in your sins. And then Jesus said, except you repent, you will perish, Luke 13, 3. Jesus also emphasized the importance of confessing his name before others in Matthew 10, 32. Jesus said, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, Mark 16, 16. When people obey the gospel, what do they enjoy? Salvation. The basis of our salvation, God's grace, mercy, and love. And we are the, we are the, the recipients of that. In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul said, But God, who is rich in mercy, for the great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, has made, us alive together with, has made us alive together in Christ. By grace are you saved through faith. So God has reached out to us and he has made salvation a reality. God's grace, it liberates, it educates. In other words, it instructs us on how to be saved and on how to stay saved. And it regulates 
When we become New Testament Christians, we are not at liberty to just live as we please, but rather we, as Paul said, have been bought with a price. We are to glorify God in our body and in our spirit. Why is that, Paul? Because we belong to him, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 19 and 20. With regard to the grace of God regulating our conduct, in Romans chapter 6, Paul asked the question, Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? His response, God forbid. Some translations say, certainly not. And the reason, how shall we who have died to sin live any longer therein? In other words, when you obeyed the gospel, you died to the love and the practice of sin. You got out of the sinning business. And so God's grace, it liberates, educates, and regulates our conduct. I said that with regard to our blessings in the Lord. We have liberty in Christ and we have life in Christ. Look at verse 10. But has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. The Hebrew writer said in chapter 2, verse 14, that Jesus destroyed him who had the power of death. That is the devil. People fear death. For many of us, we don't even like to talk about death. We don't like to think about death. We don't, like to, we don't even like to think about our own mortality. But the fact of the matter is, death will come to all. Death does come to the human family on a daily basis. It robs the young of life, and it takes the old in life. Death is a reality. We may live to be 70, 80 years of age, but as the psalmist said, it is soon cut off and we fly away. Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 talked about the sting of death. Unless Jesus comes first, we will one day walk the corridors of death. But Paul said that Jesus has abolished death. Do you remember what the Lord said in Revelation chapter 1, verse 18. In Revelation chapter 1, verse 18, Jesus identified himself as the resurrected Christ. He said, I am him who was dead, but now am alive forevermore. He said, behold, I have the keys of Hades and death. One day Jesus is going to unlock the cemetery doors. And every person in the grave will come forth, as he said in John chapter 5. Those that have done good to the resurrection of life, those that have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. So we think, first of all, about Paul talking about the importance of living a consecrated life in the Lord. He talks about being consecrated to the Lord, and he also talks about being confident in the Lord. Note now, if you would, what is said in verse 12. In verse 12, here's what the apostle said to Timothy. For this reason, I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I believed and am persuaded that he's able to keep what I've committed to him until that day. Two things here. Number one, Paul talks about his great faith in the Lord. Listen to him again. I know whom I, am, I, know whom I have believed. 
Do you think in looking at the life of the Apostle Paul, do, do you think that he was a man of great faith? I believe that he was. I think when you read the writings of Paul, his faith is so apparent. He was a man that had certainty about his convictions. Take, for example, what he said in Galatians chapter 2 at verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith. Faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. I think most of us, by and large, we want to be confident in our relationship to the Lord. We want to, we want to feel a sense of confidence day in and day out. Well, it's possible. How is it that we can deepen our faith, increase our faith, grow stronger, and have the conviction, the courage of Paul? I think the answer lies in the Word. If you want to have deeper faith, stronger faith, a more resilient faith, spend time in this book. When Paul wrote again to the Galatians, he talked about the gospel which he preached. He said, he said, I didn't receive it from man, neither was I taught it, but by revelation. The revelation through Jesus Christ. Paul received revelation from Almighty God. He told the Ephesians that he took that revelation and wrote it down in a few words. So that when they read it, they could understand his knowledge in the mystery of Christ. Paul was a man of great confidence, yes. He was a man of great faith, yes. But he had been a man that had received revelation from the Lord. He was an eyewitness to the Lord. You and I, we can't see the Lord visibly speaking. We read about Jesus. We hear about Jesus. But what is it that leads us to an heir of certainty about what we believe. It's the word, isn't it? Do you, remember what, do you remember what Paul said? Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. To the Corinthians he said, we walk by faith and not by sight. If you walk by sight, you'll lack, you'll lack confidence. You'll lack that air of certainty. But not so with the apostle Paul. Let me give you another thing, I think, borne out in verse 12. Not only do we read about his great faith in the Lord, but he talks about his guaranteed future in the Lord, and the two go hand in hand. Listen again to what he said, For I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed unto him until that day. Paul had deposited his soul into the safekeeping of Almighty God. Now we talk about the importance of faith and the confidence that we are to have as New Testament Christians. I believe that we can have just as much confidence 
And just as great a faith as the Apostle Paul. How do we develop that faith? By spending time in this book that we call the Bible. By living with Jesus day in and day out as we read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. By spending time in the epistles. By encouraging ourselves in the word. But think about the guaranteed future that Paul had in the Lord and that we have in Christ. In the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul in verses 16 through 18 of chapter 4 talked about the contrast between the outward man and the inward man. He said the outward man is perishing. The inward man is being renewed day by day. He said, as a child of God, we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. The things which are seen are temporal. The things which are not seen are eternal. If you make the transition into chapter 5, verse 1, he said, for we know. I said this in Bible class, I'll say it again tonight. I would underline that term, know. Paul said, for we know. That if the earthly house, this tent, this physical body be dissolved, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. How did Paul know that he had a future with the Lord? How did he know that if this physical body gave way to death, he had something beyond this physical veil of tears by revelation? By revelation from Almighty God. He said, we know I want to ask you tonight, how confident are you in the Lord? How great is your faith? If you don't spend time in the Word on a daily basis, your faith's not going to be great. If you don't spend time in God's Word day in and day out, you're not going to be confident. You're not going to live with a sense of assurance. The devil wants us to live in fear. And the way to offset fear is to spend time in this book. What's the old song? Give me the Bible. That's what we ought to ask for. Paul said, I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep what I've committed unto him until that day. I want you to think about this. When we obey the gospel, we are literally placing our soul in the hands of a loving God. We're placing our faith in the Lord. We're saying, Lord, I want you to take my soul and keep it. Until when? Until that day. When the Lord Jesus Christ comes from heaven, we'll stand before him. And because we have committed our soul unto him who is identified by Peter in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 19, as a faithful creator, we, we've committed our soul unto Almighty God. When the Lord Jesus comes again, we stand before him on that great and final day. Here's what he's going to say. Well done, good and faithful servant. When Paul wrote to Timothy over in chapter 4, 
He talked about his impending death. He said, the hour of my departure is at hand. I'm already being offered. I've fought a good fight. I've kept the faith. I have finished the course. Henceforth, there's later for me the crown of righteousness. That's confidence. That's assurance in the Lord. Look, one day, one day this life's going to come to a crashing end. I hope and pray that for us it's a long time out truth of the matter is we just don't know we don't know if we'll be here tomorrow we don't know if we'll be here next week next month next year we just don't know but I know this I can be a person of faith and based on my faith in the Lord I can be a person with a future I'm talking about rock solid 100% future with the Lord I can know with all certainty when I come to the end of this life here on planet earth that I'm going home to be with almighty God how do I know that by faith faith in him who loved me and gave himself for me Paul had encouraging words for tough times we're facing tough times we don't know what the future holds that's why our confidence needs to be in the Lord and not in anyone else. Let me, let me just make this observation in closing. and I, I want to say this because I think it needs to be said. I think sometimes as we grow older in life, we worry, we worry about a lot of needless things. And sometimes I hear members of the church talk about how much time they spend every day in front of the television watching Fox News. Look, if you want to watch Fox News, that's your business. If you want to watch CNN, that's your business. But we spend all this time in front of the television watching the news as if Washington and politics are the answers to the ills of our nation. We live in fear. We lack confidence. We worry about what's going to happen, about this and that and everything else. Could I say this? You'd do yourself a favor by turning off the news and turning on to this book that we call the Bible. This is the answer. You want to develop greater faith? You want to have faith for tomorrow? You want, to, you want to overcome your worries and anxieties about what the future may hold? Read this book. Let me tell you what. You'll get a lot more out of this book than you'll ever get out of CNN or Fox News or any other newscast for that matter. I don't need to listen to a bunch of doomsday prophets. I know. I know the Lord is in control. When John wrote the Revelation, Domitian was on the throne and he was running roughshod over the people of God. They were being tormented. They were being persecuted. They were being put to death. It may happen in this country. I don't know. God forbid that it does, but it may. 
But John began that book by pointing out to the people of God that there is one who is ruler over the kings of the earth and that one is Jesus Christ. I don't care who's in the White House, the Lord Jesus Christ is still on his throne. He's still in command. He is still ruling the affairs of this world. So put your trust in this book and turn the TV off if you need to. Well, I've gone over time. I didn't mean to, but I did. But I appreciate your presence tonight. And it may be that you're here tonight and you're not a New Testament Christian. Why not come to Christ? Why not come to him this hour? Jesus is the answer to sin. He's the answer to tough times. Why not come in simple, trusting faith, be baptized into Christ like they did on, on Pentecost Day? When you do that, God will add you to the church. You'll enjoy all spiritual blessings in Christ, Ephesians 1.3. If you're unfaithful to his cause, why not come home? Why not come back to a loving God? If you're not a Christian, you don't have a future with the Lord. If you're not a faithful child of God, you don't have a future. When you go to bed tonight, you can't have any confidence. Why is that? Because you're not in fellowship with the Lord. Why not end this day in Christ? You began it out of Christ, end it in Christ as we stand and sing.